I don't know who said it, but I know it's true that the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. He told these disciples to go to the other side. He didn't say go to the middle of the lake and go under. He said, go to the other side. He had a plan for them that would take them to the other side. And he has a plan for you that will take you through the trials of life and his grace will be sufficient to carry you to the other side because God promised, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Jesus Walks on Water. Pastor Carl has been preaching from the Gospel of John, chapter six, verses 16 through 21. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he concludes his sermon. Tenderness that overshadowed them. Look at verse 20, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Across the waves, over the screams of the wind, came a voice that they could instantly identify. It is I. Do not be afraid. He hadn't abandoned them. He had been watching them. He knew all about the storm. This storm was part of God's will for their lives. He was the one who commanded them to get into the boat to begin with. And so this storm was not by chance. You know there are no accidents in the Christian life. There are no unlucky circumstances any more than there's luck for the Christian. No Christian believes in luck, not if he believes the Bible. And we know the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God providentially works the circumstances of life for the believer. And so this storm was a means to an end. It was designed to strengthen their faith and to bring them into a greater knowledge and understanding of Christ. Look at verse 21. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. And underscore that word, willing. The Lord never violates your free will. Nobody can make you become a Christian. No one can stuff the gospel message down your throat. If you go to hell, you willingly went there. You chose to go there. And if you go to heaven, you willingly chose heaven. And so these disciples, man, they were glad to have them on board. Yet I think of all these men and women who spend their lives without the Lord and all the storms that they go through without him. John adds something, though, that's astonishing. Notice, and immediately... The boat was at the land to which they were going. Now that statement is watered down in one paraphrase, very popular new paraphrase called the message. The message, and by the way, it's not a translation. It's, it's really a commentary on the Bible and horrendous in places. He writes, in no time they reached land. Now, the, the idea behind that translation is that with Christ on board, he had so absorbed their attention that the journey seemed short. You know, you ever go on a long trip and you just uh, maybe have great conversation or you're listening to a, a tape or something. It's just like, ah, oh, man, it just went by so fast. That's not the idea here. In the original, the Greek text says immediately, instantaneously, the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's a triple miracle. 
Now, the other Gospels emphasize not only did Jesus literally walk on the water, he defied the natural laws that he wrote into the universe between solids and liquids. As a solid individual, he literally walked upon the water. That was one miracle. He instantly stilled the weather, calmed the storm, and then a moment later, they were all on the other side. He takes the laws of time, and he suspends the laws of time and matter, and they are instantly on the other side. Now, remember, John is writing with a purpose in mind. A lot of other miracles he said Jesus did, but I recorded the miracles that I did, that you can know that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you can have life in his name. So you want to ask the question, what spiritual lesson can I learn from this miracle? What encouragement would God give me as I face the storms of life? Now, you may be in a deep storm this morning, and if you're not, I tell you you're headed towards one. You're either in a storm or coming out of a storm or going back in one, but you'll find one sooner or later. That's just the way life is. And so God gave us this miracle with a message in it to teach us something about how to go through the storms and trials of life. And so as we conclude this morning, let me give you five anchors for riding out the storm. If you don't need them today, you'll need them at some time in the future, so jot them down. Five assurances when you go through the storms of life. Number one, remember, God brought me into the storm. He brought me into the storm. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again, then understand there are no accidents in your life. This storm did not take the wave walker by surprise. He knew all about it. The fact that his men were in this storm was not outside of his will. It was a part of his will. He commanded them to get into the boat. They were not in that storm because they were out of the will of God. They were in this storm because they were in the will of God. Now, sometimes we hit storms because we're out of the will of God, like Jonah. But these men were obeying Christ. They're in the center of God's will. Did he know the storm was coming? Certainly. Did he deliberately direct them into the st storm? Absolutely. In fact, they were safer in the storm because they were in the center of God's will than they would have been out of the storm had they been on the land. Now, when you read your Bibles, you discover that there are two kinds of storms. There are storms of correction by which God disciplines us, and there are storms of perfection by which God matures us. Jonah, because he disobeyed God, hit a storm of correction. These disciples, because they obeyed God, hit a storm of perfection. God wanted to grow them up a little bit more in Christ. Now, if you remember once before, about a year before, they had been in another storm. On that occasion, if you remember, it's recorded in Matthew 8, Jesus was in the boat fast asleep. And I mean, it's an incredible sea journey. They're fearful for their own lives, and they say, Lord, don't you care? We're going to perish. Wake up. And again, he instantly stills the storm. But on this occasion, he's outside of the boat. Now, many Christians have the mistaken idea that if I am in the center of God's will, that if I am doing precisely what God wants me to do, that there'll be no heartache and trouble in life. That is so far from the truth. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. James wrote, consider it all joy, my brother, not if, but when you encounter various trials. Perhaps this morning you're in a storm, and it seems so dark you can't even see your hand in front of you, 
and you feel like your boat is sinking and the winds seem contrary to you, but just remember, there is nothing that happens to you by accident, nothing that God does not allow first to happen. He commanded these men to get into the boat. He brought them into the storm just as he'll bring you into some storms. Secondly, not only do I learn, not only am I assured in this miracle that he sometimes brings me into the storm right when I'm in the center of his will, but he will help me to grow because of the storm. He'll help me to grow because of the storm. Now, what was the whole purpose of this storm? To grow these men in their faith. After all, someday the Lord Jesus would leave them and they would face many storms in the ministry and he would be nowhere to be found but he would be there. The Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us, but they had to trust him even when he was not physically present with them. They needed to know that he cared no matter what. And God has a plan for you this morning. The plan is very simple. God's design for the Christian life is not just to make us happy, but to make us holy. He has a plan to make you more like his son. And so sometimes what appears to be actual trouble for us is actually a blessing. God is using it to develop us. And so the Lord engineered this storm for his disciples. Now think about it when you've grown the most in your life. I mean, really think about it. Was it not very often in the midst of hardship? Was it not in the midst of a great trial that that just caused you to seek the Lord and snuggle up to Him like at no other time in your life. And God taught you some principles that carried you for years to follow. Very often, it's in the midst of storm. I can bear testimony to that in my own life, that God has taught me so much. One commentator writes, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, not a word said she, but all oh, the things I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. Isn't that true? Very often God uses difficulty to grow us. The storms of life are very often quite necessary. Now there's another assurance, another anchor for your soul that I believe we can take from this miracle. Not only did he bring me into the storm, not only will he help me to grow because of the storm, but he is praying for me through the storm. He's praying for me through the storm. Now, what was the Lord Jesus doing up on top of that mountain? Well, John tells us in his gospel, he went there to be alone. And if all you had was John's gospel, you'd probably infer from that. Well, he obviously went to talk to his heavenly father. But Matthew and Mark spell it out. Specifically, Matthew, for instance, says, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. You say, what was he praying about? He was praying about these men. He was praying about their faith. He was watching them. Right out in the margin there, would you, Mark 6, 47 and 48. Mark 6, 47 and 48. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And seeing them, straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. Up on the mountain, he saw them rowing. 
Up on the mountain, he saw those clouds begin to boil. He saw the wind begin to pick up. He saw the waves begin to rise. And he was praying for them that their faith might not fail. He saw them all the time. Those hours they were straining. And I want to tell you, you may be going through a storm this morning and the Lord sees you. He knows what you're about and he's praying for you. The Bible tells me through the writer of the Hebrews, hence also, he, our Lord, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friend, he lives to pray for you. He saw the disciples. He knew their needs. He felt their burdens. He understood their fear. And he was praying for them. Now, you in the midst of a storm this morning, he always lives to make intercession for you. The hairs of your head are numbered. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know that he watches me. He's watching over you. He's praying for you. Now, sometimes people will ask me to pray for them. And occasionally, very occasionally, I'll feel burdened to pray for them more than once. Now, most of the time, I won't. I'm just one person, and I've realized that I can't pray for everything and everybody. And it doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. I'm just limited. Now, very often, someone will say, a lady going out of the church in the last hour, she said, would you pray for my grandson? I said, let's pray right now, because I didn't want to tell her I was going to pray for her and then not do it. And so I had, uh, we prayed right then for that man who'd just been in an accident and that he might find Jesus Christ as his Savior. But not that often do I take someone's name and just pray for him all the time. Now, it's a blessing to me when someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, you're pray I'm praying for you. And what really blesses me when someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, I want you to know God has put it on my heart to pray for you every day. Can't imagine what that does for me. Six billion people on the earth and God burdened that person to pray for me? Well, I want to tell you, you may not be on my prayer list, but you're on Christ's prayer list, and he prays for you every day. He brought me into the storm. He'll grow me because of the storm. He'll pray for me through the storm. Number four, he will come to me in the storm. Again, look at verse 17. He'll come to me in the storm. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, and it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, it's not by accident that John states the obvious. Jesus had not yet come to them. He wants to arrest our attention with the obvious to contrast it with the statement that follows. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, sometimes people go through a storm, and they say, Pastor, I feel like God's deserted me. Where is he? And you're going through hard times and you wonder where the Lord is in it. God promised through his prophet Isaiah, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and though the rivers, and through the rivers, they will not, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, it may appear at times that God has deserted you, but he hasn't. He shows up with his presence 
very often in an experiential way at just the right time. Remember, he comes in the fourth watch between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the blackness of night when they had been struggling for hours. Why didn't he come sooner? I mean, why didn't he come 10 minutes after the storm started? He comes when they're right in the middle of the lake, as far away from land as they can be, right in the middle of the night, when these guys are absolutely exhausted and all human strength is gone. That's very often when the Lord comes to us because he wants to teach us to trust him. Now, why did he come walking on water? I mean, why didn't he just suddenly appear in the boat? Because he wanted his disciples to know that the very thing they feared, the sea, was a staircase for him to come to him, to come to them. And that's so often true in life. The trial that you're facing is the very tool, the very staircase in which Jesus Christ is going to come to you and meet you. Now, why didn't they recognize him? Because they weren't looking for him. I mean, really, think about it. He had fed 20,000 people. They should have been out in that boat and said, Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the sovereign one of creation. We saw you feed 20,000 people today. You made something out of nothing. You are over all of creation. Come to us, meet us. And then when they saw that figure on the water, they would have said, it's him. He's answered our prayer. He's come to deliver us. They weren't looking for him. And in the process, they missed him. And they think he's a ghost. You see, fear and faith can't live in the same heart. You have to walk by faith. He hadn't forgotten them. They had forgotten him. Had they just pondered the experience. And so Mark tells us that they had forgotten him. He had gotten into the boat with them and the wind stopped. And they were greatly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Had they just pondered on the miracle done a few hours before, they would not have had the experience that they did. They would have, in faith, been looking for Jesus. Now, God's always on time. It may appear to you that he's not on time, but he is. It appeared to Mary and Martha that Jesus was late. Lord, where have you been? He's been dead for four days. If you had just been here earlier, you could have healed him and he would have been fine. And they weep, and the Lord weeps with them. And then he makes an incredible statement in John 11. He says, I'm glad that he's dead. Don't usually go to a funeral, do you? Say, oh, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> Suppose he had come sooner, and he had laid his hand on him and healed him. Some people might conclude, well, you know, sick people, they get well sometimes anyway. I mean, after all, who's to say it was a miracle? But I want to tell you, when someone raises someone who's been dead for four days out of the grave, there is no absolute, absolute way someone could say, well, he would have recovered anyway. No, he had a plan. He was right on time. God promised to Adam 4,000 years before that he would send a Savior. And the Jews waited and they waited and they waited for 40 long centuries. And then finally, Paul said, in the fullness of time, he stepped out of heaven, incarnated himself, and came to redeem man from their sin. Not early, not late, right on time, in the fullness of time. God knows what you're about. He's on time. 
And in his perfect timing, he will meet the needs that you face the storms of life. Finally, let me give you one other anchor that you can hold on to. He brought me into the storm. He helped me to grow because of the storm. He's praying for me through the storm. He'll meet me in the storm. He will see me finally through the end of the storm. He'll see me through to the end of the storm. Look at John 6 and verse 21. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, when Jesus got into the boat, the other accounts tell us that immediately the wind stopped, the seas were calmed, and then instantly they're on the other side. And friend, that's a picture of our Lord, whom the writer of the Hebrews calls the author and finisher of our faith, that whatever he starts, he completes. I don't know who said it, but I know it's true that the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. He told these disciples to go to the other side. He didn't say go to the middle of the lake and go under. He said, go to the other side. He had a plan for them that would take them to the other side. And he has a plan for you that will take you through the trials of life and his grace will be sufficient to carry you to the other side because God promised, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus was teaching his disciples a lesson that he never wanted them to forget. When he walks on the water and they finally come to grips with who this person is, what do they do? They fall down on their face and they worship him. Matthew tells us also that those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Now these men had been involved that day. The Lord allowed them to participate in that miracle of feeding some 5,000 people. They distributed the bread. They collected the leftovers. There was a basket for each disciple filled with leftovers after everyone was satisfied. And then after they witnessed that miracle, the Lord takes them through an incredible storm. 5,000 men fed, excluding women and children. Less than one year later, Peter will stand up. He will preach a message. 5,000 men will be said, saved, excluding women and children. And after that miracle, they will face storms of persecution that you cannot believe. And no doubt these disciples remembered this storm experience and they took courage from it. Now, why did our Lord walk on water? I mean, did he come to walk on water and say, hey, guys, look at me. I can walk on water. No. He walked on water to teach them a lesson. This is a miracle with a message. There's significance in this sign. There's something here for your heart and my heart today. And the Lord wanted these guys to know that what looked like was way over their head were under his feet, that he was sovereign over it all. And you may be in an incredible storm today and the waves seem so high and you're asking, where is the Lord? Friend, it is all under his sovereign feet. I'm confident of this, that he that began this good work in me won't abandon me. But he will carry me all the way through until the day of Christ Jesus. 
You've got problems, you've got heartaches, you've got fears, you've got tears. Just remember, he brought you into the storm. He'll help you to grow through the storm. He'll pray you all the way through to the other end. He'll meet you in the midst of it. And I want to tell you, he'll carry you to the end of the storm because he's over it all. And one of these days, he's going to leave the mountain of his glory, and he's not going to step on water. He's going to step on clouds, and he's going to come, and the barometer is going to fall, and the winds are going to rage, and sin is going to increase. And then instantly, he's coming to take his church, and the ship will be on the other side in glory. Hallelujah. And like these men, as they pondered this miracle, they fell on their feet. I fell on their face, and they worshiped him. And our Father, help us not to be so hard-hearted that we would miss who Jesus Christ is. I pray today for some man, some woman, some boy, some girl that's here who's never been saved. I thank you for Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, who left the glory of heaven and became a man and lived a sinless life. And he who bore my sin upon the cross and you who raised him from the dead, that he can say, whosoever will may come. I thank you for such a savior that he receives sinful men. You said it's a trustworthy statement and it deserves our full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friend, this one is not for people who are perfect, but for sinful people. And if you're here today and you sense the Spirit of God having condemned you with your sin, your only hope is Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do. The Bible says if you could be saved by your good deeds, then Christ died in vain. He came not as an example, not as a model, but as a substitute to bear your wrath. And God has raised them from the dead, declaring to all men everywhere that they must repent. So would you repent? Would you change your mind today? Would you in simple faith take God at his word, the one who cannot lie, who said, whoever will call upon my name, I will save. Would you call upon the name of Jesus, for there is salvation in no other name. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Would you in simple faith say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, I thank you that this miracle is written not just for those that are lost, but for those who are saved. That it's a miracle with a message that you have given us some assurances, some anchors that we can hold on to as we seek to live the Christian life. Help us as your people not to be men and women who just hear God's word, but those who do. Help us to take what we've heard today, and we ask that you'd seal it deep into our hearts, that when we face the trials and tribulations of life that you promised would come, that we would look to you in faith. Thank you that for the believer, that our trials and hardships are not meaningless that they can accomplish the perfect result for which you've sent them, that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So help us today to walk in faith with the one who loved us. We ask it in his holy name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John. 
0-1-6. One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy with a donation of any amount to Search the Scriptures. Please call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.